every day in the band, <clears throat> we'd hear this. Hi, you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers, a podcast covering the songwriters and musicians that call Oklahoma home and those that might just be passing through. And this episode is Unwed Sailor. Unwet Sailor is an instrumental rock band based in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that can also trace its roots to the 90s music scene of Seattle, Washington. I spoke to Jonathan Ford, the bassist and songwriter who lived in the famous music scene with his former band, Roadside Monument. Ford left his home in Tulsa looking for his black flag, get in the van experience. For him, touring and recording in the 90s was his truly punk rock era. He's since been back in Tulsa for about 10 years, and now in his late 40s, he's continued to put out music with his band, Unwed Sailor. Their first album came out 20 years ago and has just been reissued. And they've been putting out an album each year for the last three years with another plan for next. Jonathan talks about 90s Seattle and coming back to Tulsa, his approach to songwriting as a bassist, and how he wrote and recorded their latest album, Truth or Consequences. All of that and more on this episode of Songwriters and Tour Writers. Hey, I'm Jonathan Ford from the band Unwed Sailor, and I'm here talking today about our latest album, Truth or Consequences, on Spartan Records. Are you in Tulsa right now? Yeah, I actually just got, I was in Seattle yesterday, this whole week, and I <clears throat> I just got back last night. Yeah, what was it like going back to Seattle nowadays, um, since you kind of were really living there during like the 90s? It's very nostalgic for me. There's pockets of the city that still feel very much like the 90s. And then there's other pockets of the cities that I don't even know what city I'm in when I'm walking around. So it, it's weird. I definitely go for the nostalgia feeling, you know. Um, but I, you know, I still love it there. Uh, it, it's definitely, I feel refreshed every time I come back. It was about like, 10 years ago that you came back to Tulsa? Yeah, my uh, my mom was sick. So uh, she needed someone to help her out. So I came back and uh, helped take care of her. And then I just stayed. Uh, I, got, I got a house in this cool little neighborhood and just kind of settled in, got a couple cats <laughs> and, you know, just kind of became this homebody guy. <laughs> Well, you left like Tulsa, like as kind of like an early adult in the 80s and stuff to like kind of pursue a life in music. You thought you couldn't find one in the Tulsa then. What is it like um, seeing Tulsa now? Uh, it's def it's different for sure. Uh, there's there's actually venues to play. There's more than one bar to go to. There's interesting restaurants to eat at. <laughs> so I think the city has progressed for sure since the early nineties. Uh, I still, I, I still feel a little isolated here uh, just with the music that I do. You know, I'm an instrumental band that plays, you know, kind of pop instrumental songs. So I don't have a lot of company 
so that's kind of strange uh, and a little isolating. But, you know, at the same time, uh, it's cool to see that there is so much stuff happening around me. Like, I, I especially like the music venues. You know, you, you can't beat Kane's Ballroom for a music venue, just legendary and the history that that has. You know, then you have uh, the Tulsa Theater, renamed the Tulsa Theater, uh, which is just a great iconic venue. You've got the BOK Center where you can go see Paul McCartney play. You know, then you have the smaller, you know, the Whittier Bar. My friend Nick owns that bar and they've started doing shows there. They built a stage in the, in the room and looks great. Um, you know, then you have uh, the Sound Pony, you know, the DIY punk rock on the floor uh, playing a show. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, you, you know, there's, you can definitely find something to do now here. As compared to like the Tulsa that you kind of left where it seemed a little sparse and hard to even pursue music. Oh man. I mean, there, you know, there was uh, the spaghetti factory, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that was cool downtown. Um, there just wasn't really anything. Uh, I, you know, I was in, you know, some little bands here before I left and I, you know, we were, we would just play like someone's living room, you know, which is great. House shows are fantastic, but it was like, you know, our friend's living room that had never done a show before. And like our four friends came to see us or something like there just wasn't, there wasn't a community that, you know, could support you. It was a little desolate and isolated. Uh, um, but it seemed like a little before that time, like in the late eighties, uh, there was a cool punk scene here that I kind of missed. Uh, and then I, I feel like after I left, there was a little bit of a, a cool punk scene that started. Um, but I, I, I missed that. I, I feel like right when I was kind of coming of age, realizing that I wanted to play music was like this weird dry period where there wasn't much to do. You know, during that time, you know, you're looking at the early 90s. So where else are you going to go to play music? You know, Seattle and Shining Lights, you know, <laughs> the beacon on the hill. So I, I headed up that way. I actually ended up in Portland and spent time there, which I loved. And then I went down to Long Beach, California for a while and kind of hang, hung out in the hardcore scene down there. And then went back to Portland. And then uh, I had some friends in Seattle and went up to Seattle and finally everything clicked and stuck. I found a band, I found a community to support me and I could support them started playing shows, started going on tours, started recording records. Just, you know, my dream was to realize it. the reason I left Tulsa was I found in Seattle. So, yeah, I mean, that place is always going to be special to me. Uh, even now, when I go back, I feel, I just come back feeling inspired to do more things and be creative. Yeah. Yeah, I love the name of that house that... um you and a whole bunch of other kind of like uh, young 
musicians ended up landing in? What was the name of it? <laughs> well, we had three. Uh, the first one I moved into was called the House of Funk. Yeah. And there, I, th- there was a basement, middle floor, top floor, and I think th- maybe 13 people lived in there plus the people that were living on the porch you know uh that was just the wild west there man like i you know when you go i guess when you first go into that house you kind of like you know you're on the couch first which is probably the most filthiest thing i've ever slept on and you know i just remember i'd be asleep and the front door would open and a homeless guy would just walk in and lay down on the couch next to me. And I'm just kind of looking like I, and at that, with that house, I had no idea if that guy like actually lived there. (laughs) I don't even know if I saw all the people living there and everyone in there, you know, we're like, we were just all like punk kids. And so we all kind of looked homeless anyway, you know, (laughs) like we kind of had this raggedy clothes and, uh, kind of wandered around. So, uh, so yeah, you know, it's just wild, uh, you know, house shows all the time, bands practicing in the living room. Um, yeah, it was beautiful, man. I mean, what a way to start your music, musical journey. Just met so many great people. And then, uh, at that, the house of funk just got a little too funky. Uh, <laughs> so we found a nicer house in the university district. Uh, and we call that Hiawatha house because there was an H on the screen door. And we just, we kind of brought over our roots to Hiawatha. It was a nicer house for sure, but we still had shows in the living room in the base. And I, I, my room was in the basement and, you know, so there would be shows like right next to my room. Like we had bands like, you know, murder city devils played there, um, mineral, bare minimum old amazing old seattle band totally underrated so yeah we had all these shows there too my old band from seattle roadside monument we would practice in the basement where we had the shows and we heard a rumor that soundgarden had actually practiced in that basement for a while Oh, wow. So we were pretty stoked on that. We definitely, like, you know, tried to channel that energy. So eventually, uh, the landlords at Hiawatha House got sick of us and kicked us out. So then we moved to this, like, 1960s one story apartment complex that was um split into three different units and uh it uh we called that slum yanni <laughs> uh just because it, it was it was really dirty um and so yeah we would you know we had in a two-bedroom little unit with a living room we had four people living in it you know it was all about just saving money you know like so we could buy more guitars and records and, you know, so we could eat too. Yeah. So, you know, that, um, that in itself was an adventure. I, you know, I just remember, 
you know, me and my friends just sitting on the couch. Uh, I think the same couch from the house of funk actually, <laughs> uh, and just writing songs together. And, you know, we would book shows for out of town bands at for house shows. And, you know, we had the landline. So the phone would ring, we pick it up and it'd be some band from Canada, you know, coming through and they want to, they're just calling us cause they heard we put on house shows. You know, it's just wild. It's just, um, every day was just a new adventure and a new, something new happening, you know, a new song, a new band coming through town. It was such a beautiful time. And I, I really do pinch myself today because, you know, I'm older now and, uh, just the world seems so different in a lot of ways that I, I just pinch myself and I'm like, did that really happen? Did that kind of innocence and imagination and uh, uh, just carefree spiritedness <laughs> happen? So when I go back to Seattle, I get to feel those things a little bit again. You know, I walk by Slum Yanni. And I just look at it and I'm like, and I just remember all those times or the house of funk is still there. It has not been torn down, which shocks me because every, everything there is a condominium. Everything's been torn down now, but the house of funk is still there. And so I'll walk by those places and just like get hit like squarely in the face with nostalgia. And it's just really beautiful. I, I'll tear up just remembering about all the great times. Well, in history, like, you know, there there are certain musical scenes that just become, like, legendary for people to talk about. And 90s Seattle is definitely, like, a scene that people have written books about, talk about so often. Oh, it's incredible. And I feel so fortunate to have been able to be a part of even the little section I was a part of. You know, it was so it was just so rich and so expansive. And there were so many different like little like segues of the scene, like, you know, different bands and, you know, you had the big ones, the Pearl mm -hmm. Jams and the Nirvanas and Soundgarden's Alice in Chains. You know, then you had the mod the Sunny Day Real Estates and the Modest Mouse and, um, you know, Foo Fighters even, you know, you had like that starting out. And then you had like under that, you know, you had uh, bands like Bare Minimum uh satisfact you know like the k record scene kill rock stars scene so it's just so rich i mean and like i feel like that kind of, that stuff is just kind of like lightning striking you know it's just such a rare thing for that kind of scene to exist because like today i'm like where does where does something like that exist now Today, I, I, I look around the country for that and I can't find it anymore. I can't find these pockets of, of groundbreaking scenes that are happening that's going to change the musical world forever. And it makes me sad and I, I want to see that happen again. So, so I'm all, hopefully it can. I have my fingers crossed. I, I think it has a lot to do with the internet. Everyone's kind of like able to put their music out by themselves on the internet so you don't necessarily have to like find people as as like you had to where you had to like actually go out and like go to a different place to like actually find find your people like um everyone is just connected by the internet 
Yeah, uh, the mystery is definitely gone. Uh, you don't have to search anymore. It's <clears throat> you open your door and it's just right there. And I think there's there's definitely benefits to that, but I, there's also um, negatives to that. Uh, I, I miss those days of not knowing what a band looked like. Um, you know, there's a particular story. Uh, in the 90s, uh, the band Polvo came through. They're on Merge Records out of um, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And just huge fan of that band, still am. And uh, they were coming to play The Crocodile in Seattle. So me and my friends are super stoked, you know, uh, had never seen Polvo before, loved their records. And I had no idea what this band even looked like. You know, I had, I, did, I didn't have, I couldn't Google it. Like, and I, I don't remember ever seeing a photo in their records. So, you know, this is like an event, you know, me and my friends, like this is like a life changing event for us. So we show up and I see the band, uh, the band van out in front of the club. And you know, it's the band van because it's the shitty van, you know, that's like falling apart. And you're like, oh, they actually made it to Seattle from from uh, Chapel Hill. So like I'm going in, I'm walking up to the door and then the door opens. And the band walks out and it's Polvo. And every one of them seemed to me like they were six foot five or something, just these giants. And they all had starter jackets on with like different like teams, you know, on their starter jacket. You know, those old sports jackets from the 80s, 90s, like the big puffy, puffy sports jackets. And that made them look even more gigantic to me. I was like, okay, so Polvo just walks out of their van and they have starter jackets on. Like my mind was just blown. And it, cause they were already so mysterious and like now they're even more mysterious. It's like, why do they have starter jackets on? Are those cool now or something? <laughs> like what, what's up? Yeah. So I'll never forget that. I'll never forget seeing Polvo walk out of a van with starter jackets on. But today it's like, I could just Google that and there'd be a photo of them with starter jackets on, mm -hmm. like in the bathroom while I'm doing something, you know what I mean? And so just having that little experience in a physical form with my eyes, seeing that is something so special to me. And I, I like, I want more of that. You know, I want more of those kind of experiences that, that I can talk to you, you know, like and share the story and, we're, we're stoked on it. You know what I mean? We're like, what? Like, you know, kind of laughing. But if I told you, yeah, I, I Googled Polvo the other day and I saw this photo of them with starter jackets. 
you'd be like, okay, well, cool. Where, where do you want to go to lunch? You know, it, it loses the mystique and the mysteriousness of it. So you kind of briefly mentioned uh, Roadside Monument, the, the band that you joined uh, in Seattle. How did those years in Roadside influence what you do now as Unwet Sailor? Well, Roadside was like my, that was like my, uh, my black flag get in the van experience. That, that's where I kind of like started paying my dues. That's, that's where you, you know, as a musician, where you start realizing that, oh, maybe people don't really care about what you're doing. <laughs> or, oh, so we've, we've been on tour for two weeks and a total of 15 people have been at our shows combined. But at the same time, you're playing music as this three-piece group that you would literally probably die for in the van. Uh, it was just, it was such a passion and a love for us. And we just threw our entire selves into it. There was one tour where we had three different bands and this one where our axle was rotting off slowly oh. as we drove. So every day in the band, <clears throat> we'd hear this. <laughs> and we knew, what, you know, we were like, okay, we don't have enough money to fix our axle, but let's just hope that this van makes it home. Let's hope we make it to the next show. Being in a van every day and having that psychological, the psychological impact of hearing your axle rotting off every day, but you're going to get to that next show and you're going to play that next show no matter if there's zero people there or 3,000 people there. And you're going to play just as good either way because we love this music so much and we put our entire soul into this thing. And that's what I learned from Roadside Monument. I learned is just to have and feel that passion for what you're doing and to never give up and to, to just keep moving forward, even if you feel like no one cares about what you're doing and just give it everything that you have and express yourself you know, freely. Another thing I, I got, well, I experienced with Roadside was I felt like it was the first time that I truly connected with other musicians in a almost mystical way or a psychic way where Doug and I playing together, Doug was a guitar player, we knew how to read each other musically. Like we could we knew how to complement each other with what we wrote. And as you know, Matt Johnson, the drummer, and I as a rhythm section, we just, we didn't have to think 
when we played. Like we just knew instinctively what each other would do and we knew how to compliment each other. That's like a lightning in the bo- in a bottle thing that it's hard to find. And I am, I mean, I cannot believe that I, f- I found it just when I started almost, and I'm super thankful for that. So I just learned, I, I learned what I want. I learned what I want to feel in music, what I want from others in a band. Uh, and it just, it set, it set a high bar for me. Because after you experience something like that, that kind of magic, you, you, if you go and you play in another band or something else and you don't feel that magic, like you just can't do it. Like you, you have that bar. So from now on, you have to experience that kind of camaraderie and that kind of magic together. And if you're not, it's just not worth your time. You know, I was just out there cutting my teeth, man. Just like it, it was, it was definitely the, my, my truly punk rock era. <laughs> you know, I can remember one of our vans, uh, you know, and keep in mind, this was the early 90s. So the only vans we could afford were made in the 70s. So we were touring around in 1970s vans. <laughs> so we had like eight track players in the van. No, you know, there was no motorized windows, you know, none of that. <laughs> it was, uh, it, so yeah, I mean, it was like ancient. And I remember we were on tour uh, and it was some 1970s cargo van. So there was no windows in the back. And we stuffed, we found this, actually, I think it was the House of Funk couch. We stuffed into the van so we could have something to sit down on. No. And every day in the van, whoever was sitting on that couch would just fall right asleep. And I, and I remember, I, you know, if you're up front, you kind of look back and it's like, man, like Matt's asleep again. And so, you know, then I would sit on the couch and I would just wake up. I'd be like, whoa, man, I'm so tired. Just totally fell asleep again. And what we realized is that carbon monoxide was leaking into the van. Oh. And we were passing out. And... <laughs> Thankfully, we had no AC in the van, so we had to roll the windows down to get, actually get air into the van. So I feel like, I mean, if we didn't, if we had, you know, would have had AC or something, we might have just like gotten carbon monoxide poison or died in the van as we were going. Yeah. Oh my God. So, you know, I mean, you like, you experience something like that with your friends, you know, traveling around the country, like, playing this music it you know that never leaves you yeah and it it seems like unwed sailor is more of a personal expression of what you want and what you like in in music like it it's purely you know kind of an instrumental thing like you said am i right in saying that it's kind of what you want to do in music 
yeah, it's I, I'm making music that I want to hear. When I sit down and, and write a song on the bass, I know what I want to do. I know where I want the melody to go. I can hear it in my head as I'm playing it. And it's very clear and defined. But and what Sailor does vary, you know, um, all the songs don't sound the same. There's like little different worlds, but all those worlds are, are, are clear to me. Uh, and I, I know what I want in this band. And, uh, you know, uh, David Swatzel is the guitar player who I is the lightning in the bottle thing. Like I found another person that's like a Doug Lorig guitar player from Roadside Monument to me. I bring the bass song or I bring the bass guitars and bass structures in Dave just instinctively knows how to harmonize with those and how to weave through those and knows how to just put the icing on the cake so yeah it's just it's a magical thing working with Dave then uh, we have Matt Putman on drums and it's the same thing with him there's just this connection where he knows what to do uh we, we don't have to think about it. So those guys are, you know, a huge part of this thing too. It's not just me, but I do create the vision of the band and the direction and kind of start start the feeling. And then uh, we come together and solidify that feeling and that mood and, you know, create it and put it out there together. So you're bringing in like, just kind of a bass skeleton? Like, is it all always just bass that you're bringing to the band or are you recording any other kind of demos along with it? Well, it's, it's a, it's all bass guitar and I'll, I'll write the song on the bass guitar. So there'll be an intro a verse, um, chorus, bridge, pre-chorus. Like it's, it's a pop song mm -hmm. on a bass guitar but I'm, it's not just one bass guitar. I'll stack lead bass lines over the main bass line. So you'll, when I bring that song, it's a song. Uh, it could technically be a completed song if I just wanted to do like a bass record. So it, when I bring it to him, it's more of this almost ambient mood thing. It's like basses playing, almost some more like even meditative kind of thing. And with Dave and Matt, they add their little input into it. And so I guess when Matt and, and Dave get involved, it kind of maybe becomes more rock, you know, 
like a rock song or something. Coming up next, Jonathan talks about the kind of bass player he tries to be and his love of the 80s and New Order's Peter Hook. KOSU and StoryCorps have been helping people with different beliefs get to know each other's stories through one small step. Well, I always enjoy speaking with people. I get a a lot of joy out of just conversations with people. What made you want to have this conversation today? Well, you know what? I enjoy talking to people too. That's a real Oklahoma thing, isn't it? I think it is. If you think so too, go to kosu.org slash one small step. For me as a bass player, I want to be creating alternate rhythms and alternate melodies and things that aren't necessarily just going with the guitar mm-hmm. or going with the drums. And that's the kind of bass player that I strive to be. Uh, like for example, the band New Order, uh, the bass player Peter Hook from that band. If you listen to his bass lines, they're super unconventional. A lot of people think it's a guitar when they hear his bass lines. Yeah. Cause he's writing these big hooks, like these lead bass lines that are just, just pop hooks. And that that's what I want to be as a bass player. Like I'm I'm very interested in in melody and hooks. So when I write a song, I want it to be super catchy and memorable. And I don't just want to, you know, do 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 do. You know, I don't I just want to be you know, that's what I want to do that, that energy and that. Um, that just push, just really pushing the song. You mentioned, you know, uh, Peter Hook. Mm-hmm. What continues to inspire you about those bands like New Order, Joy Division? Well, I, I'm an 80s freak, man. I mean, I, you know, I was born in the 70s, but I kind of grew up in the 80s. So <clears throat> I just, that decade was kind of my coming of age as a kid and discovering music. So it, it's still a huge inspiration for me. You know, in the 80s, I, I went from, you know, the pop radio, like Belinda Carlisle and Tiffany and just, I mean, out of the gazillion 80s hits you can think of. Into the whole, like, kind of new wave alternative music thing in the 80s and punk in the 80s bands like minor threat agent orange dead kennedys you know i discovered all that stuff but at the same time i would discover like new order and the smiths and depeche mode so the 80s for me were just like i mean just discovering all of that in a decade it's just incredible to me. Uh, so I, I just, I'm kind of stuck there to be honest with you. Cause it was just su- such that decade was so defining for so many things. I was talking to my friend the other day about a, a word 
that defined the music in the 80s to me. And it was just earnest. There's like this earnestness. You know, everything was so um, big. I mean, even the hair, you know what I mean? It was just this, the vocals were, people, the vocalists were just belting stuff out. And it, it was always kind of about heartbreak or like, getting you know getting in the convertible and getting out of this town it was just always so earnest and uh big and heartfelt and reflective and uh i just love that feeling in music uh so that's that's also influenced on what sailor i try to inject that earnestness into the songs as well so that music is a huge inspiration on Unwed Sailor. I mean, and especially Peter Hook from New Order. I mean, if you listen to Unwed Sailor songs, if you don't hear Peter Hook from New Order in that, then <laughs> we have to talk because <laughs> to me, it's just so blatantly obvious. Any particular reason why you chose to do just instrumental music? Like, have you never thought about writing lyrics to some of these songs? Well, I uh, instrumental music just it comes naturally to me. Like, I can sit down and I can just do it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to struggle through it. So, it just feels natural to me. So that's probably the biggest reason. Now, as far as explaining that reason, <laughs> the only thing I can really think of is when I was a kid. Now, we can go back to the, into the 70s now. My dad's record collection was all classical music. So I would put a classical record on and sit down in front of the big, you know, 1970s gigantic stereo with the 8-track and the, the record player and the am radio it's like a big piece of furniture <laughs> and i would sit against that and i would just listen to classical music and classical music as a kid always took me on a journey like it always i always saw things in my mind when i would listen like i would see stories and i would see characters and i would see events taking place or i would see nature so I just had this connection with like classical music, no vocal music. So I think my only explanation is when I got older, just those early years of discovering music first, it just stuck with me. So now instrumental music just makes sense to me. And another thing is too, when I hear vocal music i don't i don't ever hear the lyrics i i hear the melody of the vocal line me personally if i sat down and tried to write lyrics to an Elmwood sailor song i would just be getting in my own way like i i just i don't need that for the song 
there are some songs I'll sing on and I'll do like oohs and ahs kind of thing because I like the way that vocal melody sounds. Uh, you know, and I have written lyrics before and in Roadside Monument, I wrote lyrics for some songs, but it was different. And I think for me, when I'm getting personal in music, I, my voice is the bass. My voice is the keyboard line. My voice is that structure of the song. Not necessarily me singing obvious words on the song. mentioned uh the really direct influence from um peter hook are there any songs where you'd be willing to like kind of just pick that part out of like what about his playing that you kind of like try to emulate or um a song that you were listening to of his or anybody else's songs that you were kind of really inspired by that led to a track on this album well <clears throat> i can tell you uh there are two <clears throat> Peter Hook bass lines that were life-changing for me. One was the ceremony, the song Ceremony, which actually was originally a Joy Division song. That bass line totally changed everything for me. And it's so simple. It's really high up on the neck. And it's basically two notes just interplaying with each other. I could say it's one of the big reasons Unwed Sailor even exists is just that bass line. Another one would be uh, his bass line on the song Regret, which was on the uh, New Order Republic album. And it's just a lead bass line melody, something a guitar would do. And it just makes that song soar. And I, I just love it so much. So I, you know, I could say that those two bass lines really influence every album I make because they just they showed me and opened the door and directed me of what I can do on the bass, what is possible on the bass.
for a long while until a couple years ago there was a pretty big gap where you hadn't released like a, a full album um i think it might have been like 10 years or so but now in like the past three years you've released like an album or a project like once a year it seems like are you just in a really inspired space right now um what can you attribute to uh, all the music that you've been making yeah man i'm really inspired and i i just feel great about making music and uh, I feel really driven. And I think there's a few things that have brought me to this point. One of them is, you know, I've, I'm in my late 40s now. I've been doing this well, well over 20 years, maybe getting close to 30 now. I don't know. And, uh, you know, I've just come to the realization that this is what I do. This is who I am. It's what I love. If, I, if I'm not playing and creating music, I'm miserable. I, I feel like I've lost myself. So if, I'm, if music has made that kind of commitment to me and I've made that kind of commitment to music, why am I not putting out a record a year? Why am I not completely 100% throwing myself into this? The good and the bad. And I just came to a realization as, of th this is who I am. It's what I do. So I'm going to celebrate that as much as I can for as long as I can. And I think another aspect or an, another inspiration was uh, my friend Dave Bazan, uh, who plays in the band Paired to the Lion. Fantastic band. And we were talking once uh, just, you know, just about music and putting out records and and he mentioned the idea of putting a record out a year and that just really inspired me just that idea of working hard and do and making that happen and even wondering can i make that happen so in a way it was a challenge too so i i, I was just like i'm gonna go for it and so that's what's happened now for three records the past three years, I guess, or so. Uh, and we have another record completed that's coming out next year. So I'm what I'm trying to do is stay a year on top, like a year ahead. So have like the record that's coming out next year already done so I can start working on the next record, which this actually here in a couple of weeks, Matt Putman, the drummer, and I are going um, going up to a studio, to start working on stuff for the next record that will be out in 2023. <laughs> so just always trying to keep stay one step ahead, you know, and, and I feel like with all those mindsets put together, when I sit down and write now, it's just not as hard for me anymore. Like it flows really freely and and I've just learned to allow songs to happen. There's no reason for me to get in there and have to try really hard to make something happen. I mean, anytime you're in life and you're just trying to make something happen, a lot of times it doesn't really happen. I mean, you can work to make something happen, but if you just, you're just trying to pull something out of something that's not there, 
it doesn't work. So I just sit down with my bass and I just start kind of playing around and just allow the ideas and the melodies to come to me. And then it's like, okay, well, that should be the verse. And then, oh, well, if I do the verse, then I could like go into this melody for the chorus. And you just allow it to start happening. And pretty soon you just have, you have a song in front of you. And you didn't have to like try to create it or like blood, sweat and tears kind of thing. It was like, you kind of had fun with it and you opened yourself up to these ideas and opened yourself up to the music to come to you. So the, these last three albums, is there any overarching way that you'd kind of uh, describe each of them? Like, uh, is there a certain mood that kind of defines each one? Well, I would say Heavy Age kind of started it. And one thing I really like about that title is I feel like it really... Kind of, it, it just fits. Like the music is heavier. It's kind of swampier, darker. I think emotionally too, it's heavier, harder to see through the fog. But there's, there's little like moments of light in the record that help you see through the fog. It's a conflicted record. Yeah, it's it's moving moving on from the past record. So it's very dense and heavy. And then you have Look Alive that came after that, which to me is the, kind of like the answer to Heavy Age. It's dancey in a way. It's like upbeat. It's punk. It's... Uh, driving, it's energetic. It's a record that with songs on it that I've never thought would ever be in an, on an Unwood Sailor record. So it's almost a reaction to heavy age, like look alive. It's like feeling alive, being in the moment coming out of that heavy age, dancing, expressing yourself, not thinking too much, being in the moment.
And then with truth or consequences, I'm actually still figuring that one out. A lot of times with them with Sailor Records, you know, these things will be created. And then in hindsight is when you kind of realize what it means and what you're, what was happening. But what, what I could take at this point from truth or consequences is I, I feel like it's a more personal record. I think it's a more examining life record. Uh, it's a more reflective record. Like there's just some themes in it. Like for example, the song Voodoo Roo, you know, it's about my cat, Voodoo Roo. Who makes an appearance on the song, if you listen real close at the end. But I love my cat with all my heart. Voodoo Roo is like my child. And it's a deep love I have for my cat. And I, I wanted to channel that, the innocence I feel when I look at her and hold her, how I'm just like jelly. She's a little clumsy, like, you know, she, it's, she has a hard time landing on her feet. You know, how all cats just have that instinct where they flip and they land. She has a really hard time doing that. And she, you know, her joints are getting a little bad. And so I wanted to write the song and make the song feel a little clumsy. Like it's not right on the click the whole time or whatever. You know, it's kind of janky and like falling around a little bit. So there's like an intimacy that I put into these songs that are, they're just a little more personal or the song Blitz, for example, is about touring and it's kind of a play on the word bliss, you know, bliss, everything's great, but blitz, everything's a blitz is not so great. So I wanted to convey like, yeah, you know, touring is great and all, but there's also some of the most difficult experiences you'll ever go through in your life is on tour so it's blitz you know it's that mix of danger and good things just a, a little more uh, personal things inside of me that I kind of injected into these songs. Uh, and I'm sure here next year, there'll be more realization yeah. <laughs> of exactly what it means in my life. But that's what I know about it for now. Did you go into these songs with those kind of intentions like 
like for Voodoo Roo, like you picked up the bass and was like, I'm going to write something for my cat today. Um, or is that something you discovered afterwards? Like the meaning behind these albums is something you discovered after um, ruminating on like the songs. A lot of it is discovering after, but for Voodoo Roo specifically, I was in my room writing that bass line. And at the end of the bass line, Voodoo jumped up on the bed and me out. <laughs> so to me, I'm like, well, that's Voodoo Roo. The song is about Voodoo Roo. Like she came in the room with me as I was writing it and put her take on it. That was easy for me. That song's about Voodoo Roo. That there is a song, Truth or Consequences. How, how would you characterize that uh, off the album? What I can tell you is what I wanted it to feel like. I wanted that song to feel like you were just, there's like this lazy river with trees like, uh, like weeping willows and big trees overhanging over the river. So it's real shady. And you're just kind of like on some kind of like tube or something. And you're just floating down this slow river just totally reclined and relaxed, hearing the water. You know, hearing the birds, hearing the bugs. You know, and since it's kind of weep, since it's the shady is kind of, it's a weeping willow, like little splotches of sun come through and reflect off the water. I wanted to just be this lazy, relaxed, no anxiety, no stress, just one with yourself, one with your mind, one with nature in the moment. That's what I wanted that song to feel like. It sounds like you kind of think of your own songs like you did, like listening to classical music growing up, trying to paint an image in your own head. Right. Yeah, definitely with that song, that happened for sure. How have you been coping in the last kind of year where live music was essentially shut down? Uh, you know, it, it was just kind of, it, it was weird for sure. It's the longest I've gone since 1995 from playing sh a show. Yeah. So that's, 
pretty wild to think about. Um, but at the, it was hard. But at the same time, I was like, okay, I can't play shows. Well, what am I going to do? How am I going to keep moving? How do I keep moving forward? Okay, well, I'm just going to write more songs. I'm going to focus on writing songs. I'm going to be going into the studio more. This is great. Awesome. Okay, so now we have a whole album done. You know, it, it's, it was just finding different ways of being productive and really focusing more on writing and recording, uh, which was, has, was great. I mean, it's, it's been a really uh, fruitful year for that, for Elmwood Sailor. And now, you know, we've got, uh, we've got shows coming up this year. So we're back, you know, it's back, it's moving. Um, and that feels great too. I'm excited. I, I am a little nervous because I, I, I'm just trying to remember a little bit what it was like to play live. Like I can picture it in my brain, but I haven't felt that in, in like a year and a half, two years or whatever. Yeah. Our last show was, our last show was in December of 2019. So I'm, I'm a little nervous about feeling that again. And, it's like about being maybe self-conscious like how do i move does that look weird you know you know what i mean things like that so yeah i mean but you know those are just little insecurities in your brain that happen i mean i'm so excited to play live shows again Go check out the record. You know, it's on Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, give it a listen. If you like it, go buy it. If you want to know more about our tour dates coming up, we're all, you know, we have all the social media stuff, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. So, you know, you, you can follow us there and see what we're up to and come out and see a show. You can find those links to Unwet Sailor and their latest album on KOSU.org, along with the full list of the songs that were played in this episode. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU in the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. You can find Songwriters and Tour Writers wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Viriapa.